Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lucky Dog Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com. Whether you need photography, videography, aerial drone photography, web design, podcast support, or technical support, EliasRoushMedia.com has you covered. Today we're discussing Game of Thrones Season 2, Episode 10, Valar Malgolis, directed by Alan Taylor, who, by the way, directed Season 1, Episode 10's final series finale as well. So let me see if I can find the synopsis real quick for the Valar Magulis um, episode. So basically what we're going to do and what we're going to talk about today is Season 2, Episode 10, and that those are the spoilers you're going to do. And then we're going to do a little section probably discussing spoilers for the rest of the seasons after um, Season 2. So if you had seen Season 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8... Um, I'll give you a heads up when we are going to discuss that. But since there is so much Game of Thrones to watch before Season 8 is dropped, I've come to the conclusion that I can't do an episode-by-episode recap. It's just not possible because this is not my full-time job. It's not even a job. It's more of a hobby. Um, So I I just simply can't do all of Game of Thrones um, episode coverage. But I can cover the season finales of the Game of Thrones episodes, and what we can do is we can do like short roundups of the seasons that way, and uh, maybe that can help everyone realign where they are in the Game of Thrones pantheon. If you're doing a quick recap, as we uh, uh, as we are, um, so Valar Margolis, uh, let's see, Joffrey puts Sansa aside for Marjorie Tyrell. Rob marries Talisa Marguerite. I'm sure I said that wrong. I'm sorry. Um, John prepares to meet Mance Raider. Arya says farewell to Jacqueline Hagar. And Daenerys tries to rescue her dragons from uh, pre-pirate or something like that. Pirate pre? Something like I don't know. So let me do a quick roundup of what I thought about season two. Uh, kind of background watching it for the majority of uh of it until we got to the later half. I know that you really got to have all eyes and and ears on um on Game of Thrones for you to really um understand and get all of the detail. This podcast is not going to be about the detail. This is going to be much more about the technicals, more or less opinion based. Um the main tonal and thematic differences there are from season one to season two that type of coverage because there are other podcasts that do much more thorough um detail coverage detailed coverage of game of thrones and um you can find those i could i could give you a couple recommendations at the end of this podcast um that i listen to personally i like to keep up but there's tons of them out there but this is just a quick recap regarding season one episode 10's Valar Margulis directed by Alan Taylor and um yeah we'll, we'll probably discuss a little bit later just uh spoilers of what we know up till episode uh season seven um through season seven but I'll give you a, a bumper before we do all that and I'll let everyone know if you've only seen the first two seasons the skedaddle um but yeah so for right now if you've seen the first two seasons, uh, you know, Valar Margolis and everything, um, you're safe. You're in the safe zone, non-spoiler for anything uh, uh, past this for right now. 
So, um, yeah, Valar Margulis is the follow-up to the first real big battle that we get to see on Game of Thrones, uh, Blackwater. And it is an amazing battle. It's hard to talk about episode 10 without starting off with how amazing Blackwater was. I mean, Blackwater was sets the the tone of the type of battles that we get to see um, later on in the series. I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say, but what we can discuss is just the cinematic and thematic and tonal difference of this entire season can basically be rounded up in that Blackwater scene. I mean, there's there's better cinematography. There is amazing music. I don't think I talked about the music in, um, in the first season roundup enough, but the music is amazing. The, uh, the writing is excellent. The, uh, the action is on, you know, it's on par. It only gets better. It, it, it really shows what Game of Thrones can be and how it can be amplified. And that's, that's what I like, um, in my Game of Thrones. There's, you know, there's great political, uh, uh, intrigue going on and upheaval and there's, uh, you know, amazing action going on as well. And so Blackwater is a perfect, uh, summation of that. And it leads into, Valar Margulis, the the last episode of um, season two. I would say season two as a whole um, is a lot darker than season one, if I was comparing the two. Uh, Season one is very much, you know, setting up the theme, the tone, the world, and ending on that big cliffhanger of losing Ned Stark's head. And we're like, oh shit, this is not the story we thought we were going to, we were signing up for. Um, so season two starts off with killing babies. I mean, it is, it is, it is ruthless what Joffrey has, um, the the Kingsguard doing it. And, uh, it, uh, I think it's trying to kill, they were trying to kill Robert Baratheon's bastards or, you know, something in that realm. I I can't tell exactly. I I couldn't remember exactly because it was a while ago. I'm, I'm technically, I've already started season three, so I'm trying to recategorize all the files in my head but yeah i believe that's what how it started so there's like there's baby murder happening at the beginning of season two there's like torture from uh the perspective of joffrey and uh the person that plays it jack gleason i don't think i talked about him enough but he is so good this season i think it's his uh most grueling season if if not season you know if not happening in season three i'm pretty sure season two it's his it's his most uh demonic season and it is it's hard to watch some of the scenes he's uh having to perform at such a young age but good god he's a great actor and when i want to see this guy and like uh i think i want to see him in a star wars um movie or of some sort i think you would play a great imperial soldier or someone that was in the star wars pantheon but good goodness just so so uh confident in his ability to to command and so it, it was a great performance by jack gleason i think he had to have been under 20 when he was doing this I, I don't have his exact age pulled up at the moment but i think he had to stop acting because of how how good he played this role um so we have the the tonal the the thematic difference i think this re- season 2 really dives deep into how how bad this world can get and you know how di- divided up 
the kingdoms really are. Um, you know, we talked about in the first season how um, the the I think it's the seven kingdoms, uh, the five I don't know the five realms, the seven king. How the entire world of Westeros is being held on by Cersei's and Robert Baratheon's uh, marriage, and by default, it, it, it you know it's destroyed, and so there lies chaos just waiting to happen, and so we saw we you see all these dominoes happening, um, like a ripple effect that. Or you know, all because of uh, what what has happened, and so it's uh, it's it's pretty crazy what what happens throughout season two. But I would say going through uh, Valar Magolis, um, let me see. We have uh, the opening. Let's go ahead and start with the opening of uh, Valar Magolis, and it's. After Tyrion gets his uh, face slashed um, by the King's Guard, probably by the command of Joffrey, um, this really upsets uh, Tyrion. He's like put in a bottom cell, and the only person he's woken up by is Master Pycelle, and you know, just fuck that guy. <laughs> and he, it, evidently, uh, Tyrion was supposed to be hideous after this uh, scar, and that. They certainly didn't follow through with that. Apparently, in the books, as he's supposed to be a lot like a uh, more ugly or something like that, or just more disfigured, if you want to say something like that. It didn't happen. He just gets like a little slash across the face. But he's more uh, upset that he's not getting the recognition of uh, you know saving the city or uh, anything else. He uh, he's real upset about that. Um, and, you know, his father not really giving him the attention he probably deserves. Um, so, uh, let me see, let me see. Um, let's see. Sorry, I'm trying to scoot on through. This is a long, long episode. Um, we see the development of Sansa and Littlefinger trying to, um, infiltrate you know her young mind at that point i think she's like 14 and she's she's really fucking young let me hold on, i'm gonna adjust the mic a tad bit over here okay so um yeah it was uh it's mr creepy going on with uh little finger and he's trying to manipulate her saying you know you know i can get you home and you know you should trust me for this reason and that reason um for reasons i can't talk about uh i wouldn't trust him if I were Sansa, but, uh, you know, he's just being a master manipulator. So, uh, we get a couple scenes with Roz, um, covering up, you know, uh, bruises and scars. Um, and she has a conversation with Varys. We, this is one of my favorite scenes, um, just between, like, Varys and, you know, another person that you probably wouldn't expect to have, you know, that much screen time. Honestly, Roz is in the beginning of Game of Thrones. She's in the end of season one, I believe. I believe she starts in season two, and she's in the end of season two. She's all throughout Game of Thrones, and she is kind of lurking in the background of, you know, absorbing all this information between these lords and, you know, probably ladies, of course, but um, 
she's one of the characters I'd say George R. R. Martin does an excellent job. And I think the, 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 uh, Benioff and Dan Weiss, or I, I think I said that wrong, but, uh, anyways, those two guys, they, they served her. I think they slightly over-sexualized her just a tad bit, but they also give her enough agency throughout to give her, um, just a little bit, I, I guess to show that she's not just like a quote unquote, you know, like whore. She's, smart she's intelligent she's supposed to be rising to the top of the ranks of all of you know what she's been having to deal with and you know having Varys and you know Roz on the same team would mean that probably they were you know sharing information and uh you know he uh Varys is all about you know protection and information and so um the exchange they have is is uh is is nice. And that's what this show does is it pairs off individuals like uh Jamie and Brienne of Tarth. They are two, you know, it's the 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 buddy cop, you know, the the dynamic duo you want to see together, the yin and the yang that don't mix, the oil and water and somehow uh you know with a little bit of amazing writing i'll say that that it it really works and so brienne of tar Bri- is it brienne of tarth or is it brienne tarth i don't know i'll figure that out later i'll you know you know show notes if i fuck this up i'll i'll update it in there and whatnot you know i'm sure i'm getting all these names and places all fucking mixed up um so they uh they come across a couple of girls that laid with Lannister soldiers, I believe, and it's uh, Brienne and Jamie do. And uh, honestly, Brienne of Tarth is a freaking badass. And even from the scenes at the beginning that they really are together, um, they they have great chemistry. I I. I I, I don't remember this, that they had this great a chemistry. And I'm pretty sure I said this in the first podcast, but it was amazing to see all of this. Um, all of this, you know, earliness, early, I don't know, what do you call it? Like early, it almost feels like not behind the scenes, but like prequel style, you know, because we've, from us that have watched so many more seasons and you know know where things are going to happen and whatnot it's uh, to see certain characters in certain situation certain situations you're just like oh my gosh don't do that oh don't say that oh you should have got that oh you should have killed him oh you should have got you know there's so many different you know plot points that you don't exactly think about when you're first watching it but it you know you like you think about it twice i guess it's it's definitely like a different experience So anyway, Lady Brienne decides to kill three Starkmen that try to take her and Jamie out. Um, we really find out where her allegiance lies, and that's strictly with Lady Catelyn. And uh, yeah, a pretty badass scene. All for the g- girls that were hanging in the tree. Jump on over to Lady Catelyn and... Rob Stark, and we really see how Rob is uh, unfolding to his, you know, you know, telling his mother that he loves the uh, the nurse or the lady. Uh, what's her name? Um, damn it! What is her name? 
Uh, I'll find out her name again, but, uh, sorry, there's so many fucking names in this shit, it's, it's really difficult, but, um, I, I apologize for everyone that's, like, a big enthusiast, you're like, oh my god, it's fucking so-and-so, well, you gotta let me know, uh, what I'd say is, yeah, so, we see Rob and his mother discuss about, you know, that he's supposed to, you know, marry one of the Frey daughters, and, you know, basically, if he, he discusses, you know, if his father was honorable, he lost his head, so why should he be honorable, you know? he, he He's trying to play against the rules of the game, and, you know, that it, does that always work? For some people it does, for some people it doesn't. Um, you gotta got to be careful when you're playing the Game of Thrones, and so when he's deciding not to, you know, marry one of the Frey daughters, you got to be fucking a little bit on high alert. Because uh, his mother tried to tell him. So, uh, where are we at? Where are we at? We hop on over to Stannis freaking out on the Red Witch. Um, the Red Lady. Red-haired lady. I forgot her name. I'm I'm sorry. I'm starting to fuck up all these names. Uh, I'll pull up that fucking IMDb page. Um... Oh, God, and now no one looks like themselves on here. Uh, yeah, so anyway, Stannis is really pissed about losing the war. What is it? Melisandre, sorry. <laughs> Melisandre. It's like I know the names until I get it on podcast. So Stannis is extremely pissed that, you know, takes out Renly Bar- Baratheon through the Shadow Baby at the beginning of the series, at the beginning of the season two. And uh, season two really does cover a lot of the Red Woman and the... Um, the relationship she has with Stannis Baratheon and Davos. We, I didn't really get to talk about Davos. Um, yeah, that whole plot line, the Shadow Baby, I always felt a little funky about that. I always wanted to say that if I was on a podcast that I never felt 100% about the Shadow Baby. I One was freaking out. It looked like she had like Venom uh, coming straight out of the downstairs area, and I was like, this is fucking weird. The... Number two is that two people witness Renly being stabbed, and that's uh, Lady Stark and Brienne of Tarth. And so I instantly was like, okay, so these people are going to be, you know, uh, put under, you know, under scrutiny for saying that a freaking shadow killed the king. Like, how you, how do you explain that? That has the faith, uh, the a shadow with a face of. Uh, Stannis Baratheon, and it, that, I was always having trouble with that, and I guess going back on season two, I never realized how mystical the, uh, the show was. I was always looking at the more grounded parts of the show, and there are many parts that, um, besides the White Walkers, besides, uh, the dragons that are mystical, and, you know, the Shadow Baby is one of them. Some things revolving Daenerys at the the end of this um, are mystical. It's um, it's definitely definitely a mystical realm that they're living in, and I don't quite honestly I don't know if uh, that whole part of the storyline has stuck with me because, well, we can talk about the Shadow Baby a little bit more. It's hard to not in non-spoilers for anyone that's uh, not seen it. 
Um, we'll talk about that in spoilers, I guess. If I can remember that, I might need to take take a list or something like if something. So, anyways, let's do it. Uh, back to Theon and uh, Lewin. Lewin offers Theon advice, and this is after Theon has sent um, ravens to his father, saying that he's. Uh, Oh, sorry. He didn't kill. He didn't send ravens. He <laughs> he sacked Winterfell. He destroyed his best friend and, fa- and you know former family's home, um, and he's not getting the recognition he wants for um, from his pops. Very. He has a very uh, similar dynamic to how uh, Tyrion and Tywin have uh, a relationship. It's just like the the son that's always trying to get the attention of. Uh, uh, of the father, and uh, basically Theon was trying to take over the uh, take over Winterfell because of uh, Ned Stark. Evidently, before the the show starts, he killed the uncles and family, and probably a lot of Theon's uh, family. Um, I guess that was through Robert's rebellion. Before we watched it, Robert's Rebellion was like when they overthrew uh, Daenerys Targaryen's father as the Mad King. For anyone that's like, what the hell is he talking about? Uh, This is all like stuff that happened. Let's pretend that there was five episodes before the first episode of the first season. That it was, this would all be like prequel stuff. Um, This is stuff we didn't see, but this was, you know, um, there's, there's so much historical, um, context to this show that it makes it feel like you're learning real history (laughs) um so yeah i uh okay so basically we find out there are 500 men waiting outside of winterfell to to take out uh theon theon has 20 men um back when i was uh First watching this, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I guess I really didn't understand what was going on. But he ended up giving kind of a rousing speech. It was, you know, like I said, Ty, uh, Tyrion in the, in the uh, Blackwater episode, he gives a pretty decent rousing speech. But to be honest, I think Theon's is a little bit better. But it's, uh, you know, the way they, they turn out are completely different. You know, Theon gets, you know, knocked over the head by his own men and, and turned over to... Uh, the uh, the Boltons, I believe, and uh, you know, it flashes over. It, it, it in contrast, it edits. Uh, you know, we we flash over to Tyrion, who's in been slashed in the face, and he's in bed being woken by Varys. Um, so this is a very interesting scene with Varys and Tyrion, basically. Varys, you know, telling Tyrion that everything you've done, everything you will remember, or everything, you know, that has, you know, been done this season is not going to be, uh, the credit is not going to be pinned on you. Nobody will remember you. Nobody will do anything. Nobody will write books about you. He basically says everything, but, but I will know, you know, Varys will know, we will know. The people that were there will know, um, and so I it's it's a 
it's amazing writing, and I don't think that we really get that type of writing towards later seasons. Like I said in the first season um, roundup, that George R. R. Martin uh, has not finished the last few books, so he has not really participated in the last, I think, few seasons past like six and seven, uh, maybe five, six, seven. I think five, four or five was the last time he was, to my knowledge, he was really involved in the script writing. And you can kind of feel the, the shift change, um, especially in the writing. And that's one of the scenes I don't think they would have written in um, six or seven. So Shay comes in and we have way more Shay and Tyrion time. I completely forgot how much Shay was involved in season one and two. She's introduced kind of at the end of season one, I believe. But season two, she gets so much more screen time with uh it's, you know, Shay and Tyrion, Shay and um um what's her face? Shay and Lady Sansa. Um and Shay and uh, Roz. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of Shay time. And uh, people have a lot of different opinions about Shay. But um, the way that 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 this relationship... Um, I don't know. I can't really talk about it in spoilers in, in, until we get to spoilers. Um, but yeah, I definitely don't remember there being this much Shay time in the first uh, two seasons. Um, I've, it, I don't think she has English as her first language, which, which would probably be why some of her English, uh, acting was, um, it was okay. It was okay is what I'd say. Um, but I think she has chemistry with Peter Dinklage and I'm, I, I know Peter Dinklage is an amazing actor and it's like, if you're in a room with Peter Dinklage, I'm sure just some of it, fall, you know, sprinkles onto you naturally. Okay. So Shay is her name is Sybil Kakili, and she is a German German actress of Turkish origin. So yeah, both of those accents are being you know she's fighting those accents hard and in this, and uh, I don't I don't really know why she's trying to fight it except for if she was in a room with the lords who she shouldn't have to have that accent with. I kind of wish she would have the accent with. Um, Tyrion during it and you know she could just shift it on and off so it would sound a little bit more natural but it, it's a it's a cute scene with uh Shay and Tyrion um let's see let's see okay so we, let's we're hopping on over to Daenerys uh this is a little bit longer than I was expecting Daenerys and she is going all where are my dragons on everybody and uh this is where we get the a little bit more the fantastical stuff. She walks around the house of Un- Undying, or I think it's called, in in the city of Karth, and the greatest city, whoever was and ever will be, and all that bullshit. And uh, I didn't really talk about the Karth at the beginning, but the beginning is got some great writing with that introduction, and you know the, the greatest city will uh, ever be, and all that. In her introduction, and her saying, you know. I, you know, I've come to claim my throne and all that. And she has, she kind of has a lot of, uh, I don't know, promptness to it. She's just like, uh, like, this is my, you know, this is mine. I've come to claim what is mine kind of thing. And I'm just like, eh, I, 
I kind of didn't side with Daenerys at first. You know, we we've seen how far Daenerys has come, but she this is you know season two is all about her kind of getting bumps and bruises on the way there, um, outside of being in you know with Cal Drogo anymore. You know, um, so hop on over to Arya and Jacan Hagal. Another storyline I'm. I've got mixed feelings about. Uh, it's kind of hard for me to not have mixed feelings about it because of the other seasons, but I'll try to push all those f- feelings back. At the end of season two, I really liked how um, Jacques and Hagar was involved with every uh, with the Arya plot line. He's well embedded into the series if you look s- uh, sooner into season one, but I don't think he was cast yet, so we didn't see his face. But in season two, at the beginning, I believe that's when we first, they first uh, come across each other, and you know he releases. Uh, I believe that she helps free him through uh, when when they come across each other and whatnot. And uh, yeah, so eventually she gives him the three kills that she can do, and she wastes like two of them on random ass guys. And the third one, I can't remember off the top of my head who the third one is but um yeah i'm sorry i'm doing a terrible the the aria plot line's kind of muddled in my in my mind right now and i I remember um but uh jockin gives her the coin um that basically you know awakens you know the the faceless man and uh when he walks away, I believe this is when he changes his face real quick. And I'm pretty sure that guy's dead. That face that, that he has. <laughs> it's just I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, or, unless that's his real face. But nonetheless, we're not sure. Um, hop on over to... We have... Um, what is her name with uh, Brand and Hodor? She's, she's Asha? Osha? Osha? Asha, um, she's an excellent actress, and I think she plays this uh, kind of wildling character, you know, so, like, animalistic. She's always kind of, like, hunched over. She's like, hey, she's kind of, you know, she's doing everything but, like, zombie noises. If she was making zombie noises, you'd probably think she was on The Walking Dead or some shit, but she's, like, super animalistic. And so, anyways, she's walking in. Her, Rickon, gets, like, two scenes, uh, he doesn't get to say anything. Hodor's carrying Bran. They're basically in the middle of Winterfell, and they see what's happened. How you know, how bad it's gotten. That I think it's just completely ransacked and you know destroyed. Um, this is where we're really going to see how big Hodor is. He's huge. Um, also, wol- the wolves have some time. The dire wolves have a little screen time. I forgot like how big those fucking wolves are, and they they do get a little bit more screen time than I was uh, remembering in the first two seasons. Um, and they do, they are kind of deus ex wolf a little bit. Um, Lewin is dying next to the, the, the nice tree. And it's kind of a sad, like, goodbye. I'm surprised the guy's still alive, but he does have to, he has to be all dramatic. So that he tells them to, you know, I think he, t- he's the one that tells them you have to, they have to go to the wall. And, uh, they, let me see. They don't know. It says too many enemies in the south. Go to the wall to John. So yeah, he does say go to the wall, and 
and I believe that's where they 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 set off. Goodbye, Lewin. Um, so get a massive shot of uh, Winterfell, you know, burning. And uh, we don't get too many big shot scale shots of the places that some of these people are in. It's like we get one at the very beginning of the season to see how big the, the scale is of King's Landing or the scale of uh, Winterfell is. But normally they don't all they don't generally show how big Winterfell is. Um, flash on back to um, Daenerys and the House of Undying. And these crazy corridors and this stuff. I believe this is when she runs into um, kind of like the hypothetical situation of her and Cal Drogo. And each one of the doors takes her to different places. But we, oh, sorry, before we go to see Cal Drogo, I believe we, we um, she goes into one of the doors that takes her to um, where the throne is. And it, it appears that it is snowing and winter has come in one of the corridors that she has entered. And it also could be ash. We're not 100% sure, but um, it looks a lot like snow. Um, so she's walking up to the throne. And honestly, in two episodes of Game of Thrones, this is uh, probably as mystical it gets when it comes to transporting a person. Um, I don't think anyone's gone, you know, transported since then this fast. And uh, if the if you call this transporting, um, but anyways, going from the throne room, she continues outside to uh, to see Cal Drogo and her son um, in the tent, and so the, it's it, it's kind of a touching scene. I don't really remember it that well, but um, I. I have more mixed feelings on Cal Drogo looking back on it now because he's kind of a shitty guy. Um, but uh, it's great to have him back on the screen just because he has a ton of charisma when he plays this uh, character. And, you know, someone this, uh, you know, this crazy doesn't happen on screen that often. But, um, yeah, it was nice having him back on screen with uh, Daenerys. It's one of the scenes that I don't think we we see that often. So she leaves the corridor. She has she basically has to leave that part of her life behind. It's kind of like a moving on moment for her. So she goes to see her three dragons who have been or chained up in the House of Undying, and we get a uh, pirate pre times three. Um, I think there's like several pirate pre's, and he's doing some mind fuck on you, on on you. It's not on you, the listener. It's on uh, Daenerys, uh, but. Um, this part, I think a lot of people had mixed feelings about. I have no idea if this was how it went down in the book. It, it might be one of those things that translates better in the book, and it might be much more of a you know a psychological mindfuck versus what happens in um, <laughs> the, the versus what happens in <laughs> in the show. It's just like several pirate priests just slowly chaining her up, and she has no idea this is happening, and. I don't know. The way it's resolved is with the dragons, of course. It's like, that's the one all be all card. And so when you take away her dragons, it's like she's powerless. But if she has them, she can defeat anything. So you got to be careful if you're a writer, if you're writing these things. It's just like they, they'll, if they defeat anything, they they automatically make your character, um, uh, you know, Superman. They make them as strong as they need to be. 
So, um, I don't know. I was uh, mixed feelings about it, about the end. It's kind of uh, convenient a little bit. Sort of like the Shadow Baby. It's not really explained by the end of Season 2. But Pirate Pre gets uh, flamed on, and we can kind of see what three baby dragons can do. Um, So that's the end of Daenerys and that scene. Let's flash over to Jon, and uh, I forgot. uh, I think it's Corrin. I think Corrin is having to fight Jon because he, he's having Jon defeat him for um, so that he can prove to the wildlings that he can um, that he can be a wildling. I think that they were both going to be killed if they didn't do it. Um, but that's what I got from that. So he was an excellent um, addition to the Season 2 squad. I don't remember him too much in Season 1, but I was like, it sucks that they take, you know, great characters out so quickly in this. So you just you got to be careful if you're getting attached to people in Game of Thrones. It doesn't matter who, you can't get too attached. And so um, one thing I didn't really talk about too much of the cinematography in Season 2 is amazing. I don't think that Season 1 has quite that uh, that budget, but it's like they up the cameras, they up the everything, and they took them like... Uh, Antarctica and New Zealand and Australia and all those crazy places. Uh, if it's if it's crazy, in uh, beautiful places, by the way, it's not just crazy. It's crazy beautiful. Um, it's uh, it it it's amazing to see the landscapes that they put these actors and act- actresses in for um, these grueling scenes of what looks like they're out hundreds of miles in the plains. Uh, in snow on top of mountains, it's it's amazing. Um, that's one thing about Game of Thrones; it really feels like a a massive world because they're always shooting di- several different places. If you're thinking about like most shows, they're all generally in one place. You don't get this wide scale and wide scope of uh, individuals, and it's almost like watching two very large narratives on two different screens. Two two large stories that don't quite coexist yet but they have amazing um amazing um budget and cinematography and you know just just camera work and production basically um yeah amazing production um i guess we flash back over to Quanzo, Quanzo, Don, or whatever his name is, and Daenerys is handmaid, and basically we find out all about what happens. What happens here? They, uh, we got you, buddy. You're getting thrown in the, uh, <laughs> thrown in the, <laughs> what's it called, the, uh, the rock cellar of wherever they were keeping everybody, and they they close the stone on them. I mean, it looks like a giant safe. And uh, that's what you get if you uh, you fuck over Khaleesi. You don't you don't want to fuck over Khaleesi, even though Zara was the reason that uh, um, Khaleesi got into uh, the city of Karth in the first first place, first place place. <laughs> um, so I, one thing about that zero zero Don or whatever that guy's name is at the very beginning of the season, he does like some sort of hand gesture to all of his uh, fellow councilmen and like slices his hand, and you know he makes it okay for Daenerys to walk through. 
that was a weird fucking scene. I uh, I, I thought everything up until that worked. And uh, I know he's basically just saying, you know, I can, uh, I can, you know, I'll take responsibility for the girl and, you know, he, the slices on him, you know, but, uh, I don't know about all that. It was just like a lot to handle with, uh, the believability in it. So we're going to hop on over to, uh, let's see, Sam Tolly. And uh, the the Night's Watch, you know, the Brothers of the Night's Watch. At the very end, uh, Tali sees... What, what the hell does Tali see? Tali gets... Uh, I think he gets separated from... Uh, oh, yeah. He, Tali gets separated from the Night's Watch. And uh, he gets to see the White Walkers in uh, close detail. And so, uh, damn, he, he gets to see a zombie horse as well. It's, like, fucked up. And uh, I think, actually, a White Walker recognizes Tali and Sam Tali, and he doesn't go after him, if I remember correctly. But he's definitely eyeballing the fuck out of him. He's like, fuck that. And Sam, I don't know what I'm calling Tali, but um, Sam's scared as buck. And... Uh, I think that's how the end of uh, season two ends, and uh, I think that's when we get also the wide wide shot of all of the uh, White Walkers coming at a very very slow pace. Don't they're not going too fast, but but <laughs> they're coming slowly but surely, and they all got hella hella uh, clothes on. I didn't really realize it. Do they feel like are they cold ever? Are the White Walkers cold? I never really thought about why are they all... I mean, they're reincarnated uh, people, but and I guess most of them would have clothes on, but you'd think some of them were butt-ass naked or something like that. They're kind of zombies, aren't they? So I guess the, the well, some of the main zombies don't have tons of clothes on. and I guess to have tons of zombies without clothes on is a lot of CG and a lot of animation that they don't want to go through. Um, it makes sense why they don't... They, it makes sense why the majority of them have um, clothes on. They're probably actually real people. Now that I think about it, the final shot is the back of the White Walkers heading um, south. And uh, you can't really see their face. So that would make sense if they used real extras in that. So um, I didn't think we were going to be able to do it, but we did it. We... Uh, Covered episode 10 of uh, season 2, and before we close out, I did want to talk a little bit like see, like spoilers, uh, spoiler section for season 2. For anyone that has seen the rest of the... Uh, let, let's, let me close out real quick for uh, anyone that doesn't want to continue for seasons. We're about to spoil 3 through 7. So... Thank you for listening. Lucky Dog Podcast at gmail.com for any comments, questions, concerns. Join us again for the next uh, season. I'm going to try to do a season three, episode 10 wrap up, and we can kind of do similar style. Um, If you enjoyed this, if I need to improve on, you know, what the different 
to- topics I'm covering. If you want me to cover certain specific things, let me know. Um, the directors, I guess, you know, the writers. I mean, you know the writers. Um, anything I'm not really covering. I'm trying to do this a little bit differently than how other people are doing recaps and whatnot. I'm obviously not going to be able to do full season, uh, full episode roundups, but hopefully this helps a little bit. Um, I appreciate you listening. Continue listening if you want to listen to the spoilers on my thoughts for episode uh, seasons three through eight. Um, and we're going to go back through just real quick. We'll probably just do like a 10-minute spoiler section. Um, okay, so everyone that has seen episode, uh, seasons three through seven and if you've already seen eight by this point, then you know, I guess you can obviously stay. I have not seen episode eight or season eight yet because it's not released at this point. So right now, um, I'm seeing it, it's so horrible. It's by now, by now, uh, we're, we're doing spoilers. Um, it's crazy seeing how many people are still alive, still dead. Picel gets fucked up. Um, uh, Tyrion's face ends up being completely fine. I wonder if they knew how much they were, how much uh, uh, they were going to fuck his face up. Uh, if they were just kind of governing by what people were thinking or how much makeup it would take, it's probably good that they didn't too much. Um, I, kn- I I know I talked about it a bunch, but the cinematography in the main hall where the throne is is beautiful. I love to see um, all of that lo- uh, like light up. With the fire, with the background, where with the sigil on the back, you really, you really see how many times the six, six sided. What is it? One, two, four. Was it four, five, six? The seven sided star, I guess, is um, shown, and it's it's really their religion, I guess. And it, just keep an eye out for it. It's it's above the game. It's above the throne. Um, sigil and it's uh it's interesting to see that light up and uh most of it's red so anyways um it's uh damn all these people on this scene are dead except for Varys it's uh you know we got Baelish this is in the king's hall we got Baelish we got Pycelle we got Marjorie we got uh Marjorie's brother um the immortal iron sack <laughs> um uh yeah um one thing i didn't talk about in the regular section was marjorie she is playing the hell out of this game i don't think that like uh it's uh it's the first time you watch it you don't really see it but she wants to go to the top from the first time that you see it see her with um renly and uh she she knows how to play the game until a certain point in like season, what is it? See the end of season six, um, gets blown the fuck up, but still she is playing the long con for a while. Um, not as long as Cersei, obviously the, um, and it Baelish knows, uh, it's uh, something that we don't really talk about too much, but anyways, um, when she was married to Rinley and that whole shadow baby thing happened, the fact that the shadow baby has not come back into the uh, fold or it's even accessible anymore um, is like, why? You know, like, um, from a writing perspective, I feel like it's sloppy writing to bring something like that into um, this realm that has so many 
closed doors and answers for everything, that introducing something that can be birthed out of uh, out of a bad guy and then magically disappears without any repercussions just makes it too convenient in my opinion. And I wanted a little bit more explanation regarding the Shadow Baby, and especially because it's kind of dropped as a plot line, in my opinion. I don't know if the the books really go into it a little bit more in depth. I might have to talk to somebody about that that knows a little bit more. But I just feel like the way it's executed, the way it's done, always felt a little bit cheap. Um, We talked a little bit about Roz. It's terrible how uh, Roz... Ending happens. I thought she was tortured to death in season two, but I guess it's season three. Uh, it season two is much more. Um, it was dark and 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 the torture and what she, especially when it came to female female like torture and stuff like that. That's hard to watch, especially with the the the, uh, the Joffrey scene. Him, you know, telling her to hit the hit the one lady. Um, I think he gets off on all of the. Uh, you know, nastiness. Uh, Stan is choking the red lady. Um, well, I kind of skipped over Rob Stark and Catelyn Stark. We know how all that ends. Um, basically, you should have listened to his mother. Um, red woman and Stannis. Red woman is actually like 90 years old, and she's being choked out by Stannis right now. But uh, she does a good job at manipulating and, you know, getting inside his head. He always has that look on his face like he doesn't know exactly quite what to do. And so he, she, you know, guides him pretty well. Um, Lewin and Theon both... Well, no, Theon's still alive. Sorry, by the end of uh, that, that episode. By the end of uh, season seven or whatever. I mean, he's still alive by, by when we're seeing it. He's just gone through literal hell. Alfie Allen as Theon, I really think... Uh, well, we know, that, uh, regardless of Game of Thrones, his career has continued to go on as uh, uh, as a successful actor. I mean, he was in John Wick, I think, uh, one or two. And he's been in several other things since. I think he was in The, the Predator. Um, he's definitely paving a career. He, uh, probably, I don't know exactly how much he had going on before that, but... Um, yeah, I think that as an actor, Alfie Allen did an amazing job as uh, as Theon, and we do see through several more seasons what he has to go through and how he has to you know portray as someone that's gone through literal fucking hell, and it's crazy as fuck. Tyrion and Shay, by the way, were on that scene again. Them talking. I, I didn't want to do a full re- 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 recap, but um, like I said, they have a ton of scenes together that make it that much more difficult to. Think about what Tyrion ends up having to do to her um, at the end of season four. He has to strangle her out because she tries to kill him. And that just makes it that much more difficult to watch those scenes. It doesn't, you know, I forgot how well they were put together. Um, the Jack and Hagar and all that um, Arya shit. Um, I was like, once again, I was like, eh. The mystical stuff in this is not what I'm here for. Like, I enjoy the White Walkers. I enjoy the dragons. I enjoy the political upheaval a lot, a lot more, a lot better. It just makes it a little bit more believable. Jack and Hagar just seems to be wherever he needs to be at the right time, has whatever face he needs to have at the right time. Given season six and what Arya has to go through, getting blinded for the old, for the, uh, the faceless men or whatever, it just seems like an, 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 
bunch of scenes that all surround Jack and Hagar and his faceless men that ultimately are unexplained or explained in a very similar fashion to the uh, Shadow Baby, and it's pretty much not explained. And uh, I was just like, buck that. Um, Like, I don't know. Uh, it, It didn't make sense to me, in my opinion. And that's... The thing about Game of Thrones is the majority of it all have connecting dots, and those things do not have connecting dots. Um, Let's see. uh, I'm just going to skip over the Hodor and all that stuff again. We know how that ends, unfortunately, with the Hodor of it all. Um, Asha ends up getting skrrt. Rikion gets skrrt. Actually, damn, all those people get skrrt. Except for uh, Bran. I can't, can't believe that. Um, Rickon's so young, and he gets so, so no, no lines at all. Um, back in, uh, the throne room with Khaleesi and whatnot, she's, um, she's in the House of Undying, and she's, you know, tripping out, seeing the throne room, uh, snowing. I'm thinking this is snow, not, uh, not ash, although it very, you know, it could be that. Um, I, I, I hope that this scene is actually shot again, or shown again, in um season eight let's see the pirate pre of it all like i said the the fantastical mystical stuff didn't work for me so i just you know said fuck that um we're pretty much done with daenerys's stuff from here on uh john snow and uh corin i don't remember corin at all in the final last few seasons all i remember is egret um but, uh, yeah, let's see, uh, you could honestly look at Daenerys as a bad guy if you, if you wanted to, I mean, by how much shit she has to go through and, and then overtake and steal and, and, you know, release and whatnot, she does kind of come off a little bit as the bad guy, and, uh, flash on over to Sam Tolly one more time, and Sam sees the White Walkers, um, I don't think I've talked about how great of an actor Sam Tolley is. I mean, he, he, he sells the shit out of seeing some damn White Walkers. He think he sees some real shit. Um, uh, but he plays that, you know, you know, the, the heavy guy falling down again all the time. Uh, it's, you know, it, it sucks being, you know, the stereotypical fat guy that falls all the time, but... It comes into play, but ultimately he becomes the hero, which a lot of people think Sam is supposed to be a a, a Mary Sue for George R. R. Martin. They think that you know that he's kind of writing himself in that position, which would make sense, um, given how far Sam goes, and you know he kind of resembles a little bit George R. R. Martin. So, um, yeah, uh, these fucking walkers are walking slow as shit, and. Uh, they don't come into play until season six or something like that. I don't really know why they don't kill Sam in this in this time. Um, it, I don't know. I don't think Sam has killed a White Walker at this point by now. So, um, I'm I I don't really know what what the deal was. Um, maybe Sam's just a non-threat. Uh, I. I don't know, maybe we should talk some, maybe I'll find somebody and throw the notes in the show notes. But anyways, you're probably tired of hearing me ramble on about season two of Game of Thrones and my 
you know, stupid opinions and whatnot, um, probably ultimately don't matter, but I'll try to do a season three, episode 10 recap so that we can, you know, kind of have another one, you know, it'd be one, two, three, and then I might be more compelled to do the, the final seasons before the, the last season comes out on episode, uh, uh, seasons eight, sorry, season eight. Um, yeah, I'm losing my mind. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. So Game of Thrones season two, episode 10 wrap up. I think we did it. We got it in the bag and, uh, thank you for listening. Check out the rest of the Lucky Dog podcast podcasts. Um, we have come out with tons of TV movies, a couple of games, a couple of reviews. I'm going to try to get a interview with uh, a buddy of mine playing uh or his name is mark if you know if you've listened to a couple of podcasts with him on it mark p to the bod to the bod uh he's been playing a little bit of apex legends i i've been kind of learning and hearing a little bit about it i apparently apex legends has reached 50 million players faster than fortnite did and i thought fortnite was a sensation so it'd be interesting to sit down with mr Peabody and uh, discuss this new uh, sensation thank you for listening to the lucky dog podcast please rate share subscribe donations and subscriptions are how we get by on producing better podcasts better media thank you for listening and take it easy